0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. It's week 10 of our Masterclass uh, series, and um, this is really a a look at the Sermon on the Mount. And this week's entitled A Golden Oldie, and it's taken from one scripture. We're going to spend the morning on one verse today. Right after um, I submitted my life to Christ, while I was in college, I remember getting into a number of debates with uh, fellow students. A lot of you know I went to a state school, and, and uh, I really got my, my teeth wet, I guess, or my, I don't know how you say it, I, I, I learned very quickly that you had to defend your faith being on that secular campus. And we would sit down, and I, I would sit down with dif- different students, and we would talk about philosophy, we'd talk about morality, um, religion, and I would share my faith with them. And most of the times, these were not heated debates. They were just nice discussions. But they were conversations that often challenged me in what I believed and why I believed it. Church, it's important that you know what you believe and why you believe it. Not what you think you believe, and you might have an inkling to why, but you should know. I mean, you got to know. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to know. All right. got to know what you believe and why you believe it. And these uh, frequent conversations, they forced me to search the scriptures and become a little more well-read and become more skilled at defending my faith. I didn't know it at the time, but this became wonderful training for me in what I would be doing later in life. I didn't know I was gonna be a pastor, but it sure has helped a lot. I go back to that so many times. There was one individual, though I remember very well, and he was uh, particularly difficult to win over to Jesus. Anybody know somebody like that? a hard case, right? And I remember talking about how Jesus was truly the son of God. And as proof of that, I talked about the profound influence he has had on even modern day culture. He has changed uh, culture for 2,000 years and he's still doing it. I mean, his teachings are still influencing people today. That was my proof. That was my point to him. And then I went on to say there are many things that non-believers say and believe that are sourced in Jesus' teachings, and they don't even realize sometimes that they are using the wisdom and the very words of Christ. And I said, for example, the golden rule is taught everywhere and quoted by even those who are atheists. They don't know it, but they are actually quoting what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 12 says this, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I no more than got these words out of my mouth when the individual I was talking to said, um, you're wrong on that. How many you like being told they're wrong? Everybody loves that, right? They said, he said, Jesus was quoting Confucius when he said that, and Confucius lived five centuries before Jesus. I didn't have really an answer, truthfully. I didn't know how much, uh, I didn't know much about Confucius, except that he was probably China's most famous philosopher, I didn't know that. I mean, this guy's argument stopped me in my tracks because I just didn't know. I had to admit that I had some studying to do, I had to go search it out myself. I didn't know if what he was saying was right or wrong. So I went to the library. For all you young people, that's the place that has a ton of books that everyone used to find out stuff before the internet. Just try going there sometimes. Interesting place, right? It's called the library. Right. <laughs> the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> what the heck is that? Who's Dewey Decimal? Um, so I spent some time in our library on the, on the college campus looking up Confucius and some of the things he said. And I had been told the truth, almost. Confucius did live centuries before Christ, and he did say something very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew seven twelve. Confucius said this, I wanted to say Confucius say, Confucius said this, do not do to others what you would not want others to do to you. Jesus said, do to others what you would have them do to you. And at first glance, this is a subtle difference, but as you think about these two, they are more different than they first appear. They're actually very different. And by the way, Jesus never quoted Confucius. Confucius' words are basically the negative version of Jesus' words. The words of Jesus are what has become to be known as the golden rule. Jesus' words were action-based. They admonished us. I want you to follow me here this morning because this might get a little confusing if you don't listen closely. Jesus' words were action-based. They admonished us to do. And this requires effort and is more demanding and it's actually more difficult to live out, to do. Confucius said, do not do. And this is less demanding because to not do something is to do nothing. This is thus much easier to fulfill than the words of Jesus which require action. Are you following me this morning? So after my studying this, I came to the conclusion that I was right to begin with. Of course, I went and told that individual that I was right and he was wrong, because that was fun. The golden rule is sourced in Jesus Christ, not in Confucius. But at the same time, my desire to have good answers, it was renewed. When people ask tough questions or make strong statements that contradict our faith, we should be ready for them. And by the way, we don't have to be afraid of being proven wrong because the Bible is truth and through uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can not only know what the word says, we can understand it. And he will even help us remember it and recall it as we are sharing with people. So, so, what does this verse really mean? This Matthew 7 12. Is it as straightforward as it seems, or is there something more to it? What is Jesus telling us here? Maybe to help us answer these questions, we should look at the second half of the verse first. It says, For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, what Jesus just said previous to this sums up all of the law and the prophets. I want to ask you a question: Have you read the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Anybody read those? Raise your hand tall if you've read them. Be pretty proud of that. That's that's not easy reading. These are the books of the Bible that contain the Mosaic Law. These are also the books that most people get bogged down in when they try reading through the Bible in a year. The law is detailed. It's laborious to read sometimes, and it's hard to understand. You're like, what? Why am I reading this? You know, this is a lot. Have you ever been stuck in the Old Testament in those first five books? I mean, come on, right? It's hard, right? It's a lot to take in. It's the law. It's the law. But Jesus takes all that, all all, all of the law, and, and, and what the prophets taught. He takes all of it together, and he sums it up, in one verse, this is the profound thing about Jesus Christ. He was such an amazing teacher, he could do that. I mean, yeah, we say he's, he, he was God, so he, obviously he could do that, right? But remember that when Jesus came to the earth, he emptied himself of divinity. Doesn't mean that he wasn't God anymore. He just chose not to operate in his superpower God powers. Okay, does that make sense? He left those on the table and he became a man. He became a human being, and he operated in a way that we too could operate. He was an example for us. He was an amazing teacher, profound, and he said things. Again, not tapping into his secret Jesus, God of the universe powers. He left that on the table. He chose not to tap into that so he could be an example to us, and he just taught us And in one verse summed all of Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, he summed it all up in one verse? Yeah. That's how profound of a teacher he was. This golden oldie, the golden rule, it says it all. And we've been studying this for weeks, guys. The nine Beatitudes, they are all but impossible to live out. But Jesus helps us do it. Anger, towards others as defined by Christ is as the sin of murder, then it's impossible to be a murderer because we've all been angry at someone a little bit out of control, right? We've all said things we shouldn't have said. We've been angry. Jesus says that's a murderer. Impossible to live your life without being a murderer, except Jesus helps us do it. Adultery is defined by Christ as not only the physical act, but it is committed by anyone who has lust in their heart. We went over these things. Impossible to avoid completely. It means everyone is an adulterer on some level. How do we do that? How do we live the, and not be an adulterer? It's impossible. But Jesus. But Jesus. Marriage vows, to be the perfect husband or wife and to never even falter in regards to our wedding vows. It's not possible. Turn to your spouse right now if you're sitting by them and say, you're amazing, but you ain't perfect. <laughs> right? It's impossible. But Jesus, getting revenge on those who hurt you, getting slapped on the cheek, and instead of going with the eye and an eye, eye for an eye mentality, you simply offer him the other cheek to slap. Who can really do that all the time? I can't. I don't know of anybody who can all the time in every situation. I think that's impossible except Jesus can help you do it. Doing all of our good deeds in secret, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, how can we possibly accomplish doing these things perfectly, doing them right, always having the right heart when we do them? We can't, but Jesus. But Jesus, he allows us to do these things. He helps us. How do we live our lives in complete trust of God? Not falling into worry or having this, about having this or that. Always seeking his kingdom first. We can try, but we will fail, except Jesus helps us do it. Judging. As we are obviously expected to do, we talked about that last week. Don't judge. We're supposed to judge. On some level, we have to. You can't live your lives without judging. And to not judge is to defy scripture that says rebuke your brother or sister. We talked all about that last week. But just don't be judgmental in our judgments. Make judgments out of love, right? How do we do that? How do we make those judgments and do it in love and never cross over into that area of being judgmental where it becomes wrong? It's impossible. We're gonna fall into that sometimes. And I don't know if we can ever do it perfectly. I don't think we can, apart from Jesus, But Jesus, you see, he fulfills the law. We can't do it. We might be able to accomplish the letter of the law, but to accomplish the spirit of the law is absolutely impossible for humans to do. But Jesus. But Jesus. Jesus always moved past the letter of the law and took his listeners to the spirit of intent behind that law which basically made it possible to live up to any of it, impossible to live up to any of it, except through him. Through him you can do all things. What did he say in Matthew 7, 12? All that the law and the prophets said, they're wrapped up in this. And I'll read 7.12 again in the NASB. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's look at it in the message version. He says, here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Hmm, That's nice and easy, isn't it? Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. I've said it over and over in this series that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, the old covenant. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it by supplying the missing ingredient, love. Love is what takes us past merely following the letter of the law and gives us the desire to go deeper and live according to the spirit of the law. And guys, this is to say that we are able to achieve the holy standard by which God the Father judges us, not in and of ourselves, but through Jesus Christ. We need him to fulfill that. This is why an addict who who tries to quit will fail most of the time. They may get to a place where they are managing their addiction, or they may even develop the discipline and create the boundaries that it takes to live a clean life, but they will always be one bad decision away from bondage. But take that same addict and move them beyond simply developing the discipline it takes to quit using, apply the love that Jesus has for them, and they can be delivered completely. Church, I want to tell you something. I believe in total and complete deliverance. I totally believe in it. You're looking at somebody who was an alcoholic at one time in his life. I drank every single day. I smoked a pack a day, and somebody, well, I smoked two packs. Well, I'm not in a contest, but I was addicted. I was addicted, but I was delivered completely. I don't want a cigarette, and if you are someone who has come to Christ and you're still smoking, I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying you have to be just like me. I know people are different, things are different. I get all that, but I want you to understand that deliverance is possible. I can walk into a bar and not drink. I can be around alcohol and not even have the thought of drinking. I can be around people who smoke. I can smell it, and I, I, I don't want it. It actually it is the opposite for me. Jesus Christ can totally deliver you. And the second you stop believing that, like you have to somehow, well, it's going to take about five years for me to quit, um, to maybe 10. I, I, I'm a lifelong, al- we say all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. Do you think I should say that because I used to be one? I've been delivered. There's nothing in me that wants that. Not, not anything. And again, I'm not picking on you if you have a beer now and then. I'm not trying to, to be all judgmental here and get in your face about that. Don't, don't take what I'm saying and, and, and apply it awkwardly or wrongly to your life. I'm, I'm not doing that this morning. I'm just, I just want you to understand deliverance can happen. We have been set free from the power of sin, church that's what the love of christ can do that's the power of the new covenant not just following the rules and trying in our own efforts to be good enough but letting the love of jesus be applied to our life in a way that just sets us free completely and i don't want to be in bondage to anything how many like being in bondage to governmental rules like paying taxes and those kinds of things You, you don't like that right I know this church pretty well. I know where you sit. I know where you're. I know where you're at. But then, why do we want anything to keep us in bondage? We don't like things to be in control of us, but we let things control us. Be it lust, be it money, be it pride, be it greed, be it whatever, addictions of all kinds. We're free free. Forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. We're free. Free. Ain't no addiction got no hold on me. Right? That's no way to live. Am I saying a cigarette's going to send you to or keep you out of uh, heaven I don't believe it will It might make you smell like hell on the way there but it, 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 I'm just not here to get in anybody's face I'm just saying you can be free you can be free a person can live up to the letter of the law and one can be incredibly disciplined and follow it to a T, but I I want to live in the freedom of the new covenant. The freedom and the victory that is found through the love of Jesus. There is nothing like it. To walk in the power that his love applied to our lives gives us, that's total victory, church. That's victory. And that moves us past managing our issues and takes us to a, a place of abundant life. And it's not always a switch that can just be thrown in your life. I'm not saying that either. It can take years of developing our relationship with Christ and, and searching out his truth and applying it. We just have to do the work. I, I, and I love Ultimate Journey because it helps bring clarity to the love of Christ and, and, how, and the love that he has for us and how that the new covenant of love can empower us to live victoriously and not live by the same paradigms of the past that keep dragging our rear ends back into the same old trenches, the same old ruts. Do you know what a rut is? It's a grave with the ends kicked out. You're just dead if you're in a rut. Let me take you back to the comparison between the words of Confucius and the words of Jesus. Confucius Confucius said don't do, Jesus said do. And as I've already said, to do is much more difficult than to simply not do. To do is to imply action and effort, while to not do is to do nothing. Love is an action word. Love is a verb. And the new covenant of Christianity all hangs on that hook of love. The applied love that he has as our savior and and that that he has for us as our savior and the ever-increasing love we have for him as we continue to understand how deep his love for us really is. Jesus supplied the missing ingredient. He loved us. He loved us enough to leave heaven, to live this human life perfectly, resisting all temptation. He loved us enough to die in our place, to go to hell for us and to come back from the dead so that we would have a pathway to heaven. He loved us and it is through that love that we find the victory to live according to the spirit of the law and not continue to fail as we try in our human efforts to live up to the letter of the law. We are to do, but to not do will cause us some things. And I think there's this weird tendency in humanity to always go back to the to not do. Why do I say that? Because it's easy just to sit back and not do. It takes no effort. Well, I'm not going to do bad things, so I'm good. Maybe to be good, it's not is not about not doing bad things. It's about doing good things. You hear what I'm saying? Does anybody's brain hurt? I'm not trying to make your brain hurt. I i. We are to do, but to not do, to live that way, number one, it will cause you to live a life of avoiding conflict. Not doing will keep you out of conflict's path. And I get it, it's a lot easier to just avoid those conflicts, right? How many in here just love conflict? Besides you. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Eric, don't struggle with this too much. And I don't necessarily either. Anybody who's choleric probably doesn't because we don't avoid conflict. Sometimes, though, Eric, we look for it and we shouldn't. <laughs> but there's many who avoid it, try to avoid it at all costs. If I just go about my business and lay low, fly under the radar, so to speak, my faith doesn't need to be known by everyone. It just, it, that just puts a target on me. I'm gonna fly low and I'm not gonna have any of this conflict. If you witness at your workplace, if you witness at school, if you talk about Jesus to your family members, there's going to be some conflict. Just the way it is. There's going to be some pushback. And there's scriptures to back this up. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13 says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You didn't know you signed up for that, did you? When you accepted Christ, did the, did the evangelist or the pastor say, accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, and you're guaranteed a lot of persecution in this life? And you ran to the altar. Yes, I want that. They forgot to tell us that part, didn't they? They'll suffer persecution, verse 13, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others, and will them, them, or they themselves be deceived. Here's the deal, if you are not... Um, If you're just living in that place of not doing, of backing away, of not living your Christianity out, Jesus said, do unto others, not not do unto others. To step back and to not do is to really just hide from conflict. That's what's gonna happen. Avoid it. And you're deceiving yourself. I think verse 13 is talking about evil people. I think he's talking about those people who do that. They're imposters, They'll flourish, they'll 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 have no conflict, that's great, but you know what? They will deceive others and they themselves will be deceived. If you think you can just hide away and be a secret Christian by not doing, then you probably don't fall into the category of being well then you you fall you probably um fall into the category of being deceived by yourself. Christians do. And this doesn't mean that you have to go around and be fanatical about your faith. I'm not talking about that. We are also called to have wisdom as we live our lives before God. But our faith in Jesus will always push us to action. And that action will provide a certain amount of conflict in our lives. God won't allow more than we can handle and we can, we can hang our hat on that. But silencing our faith to avoid conflict is not optional, church. You can't just skate through you're either in the game or you're not in the game. There's no sitting on the bench and letting other people deal with the, the hardships that come with conflict. You can't avoid it. Pastor Barry, you're so encouraging today. And again, we don't have to go looking for conflict. I'm not saying that. We should, but, but we shouldn't avoid it. Conflict is resistance, and it's resistance that makes us stronger. That's how it works for weightlifters, and that's how our faith muscles are built, church. Through resistance. Strengthens us. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, conflict, persecution, resistance. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Not doing leads you to live in a way that avoids conflict. Not looking for it and avoiding it are two completely different things. Confucius had a very nice thought in theory, but not doing leads to conflict avoidance and not conflict resolution. We are to do, but to not do will eventually, number two, give us a false sense of peace. Not doing avoids conflict, and without conflict, you will seem as if you have more peace. Hey, I don't have any conflict. I avoided it all, so now I can live peaceably, right? And Jesus is the Prince of Peace, so it must be a good thing. It must be a God thing. I, I have peace. But let me tell you something, to avoid conflict like that and, and, to, and to just just live in that place where you do nothing, that, that, that's, your, that's the basis, that's where you come from in, in your walk with God, you'll have a pseudo peace. It, yeah, it, it makes us comfortable. That, that always feels good to be comfortable. But we're not called to live a life of comfort. But to, we're called to live a life of action. Matthew 10, 34 through 35, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Boy, that doesn't sound like our loving Savior, does it? What is he saying? He's saying that if you're going to live for me, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have resistance, you're going to have all these things, and it's not going to be a peaceable life all the time. Yes, you'll always be able to come into my presence and experience peace with me, but you're not going to live a life of complete peace until he sits on the throne. Again, such encouraging words for me this morning. The peace we feel when we just don't engage our faith, it's a pseudo peace at best. To not do is to stick your head in the sand. And here's the deal about doing that. It's peaceful down there. You can't hear the cries for help from other people. You can't see the anguished hearts when you got your head in the sand. There's people who have anguished hearts. They're, they're crying out. They're desperate for healing. Oh, our head's in the sand. We're Christians. And we're trying to live that pseudo peace life where we, where we don't do anything. We just don't do then we'll be okay yep it's nice to have the don't do policy The don't get involved don't get involved in that kind of thinking but ministry or doing is always messy it's always hard it's dirty and it's usually not peaceful and this doesn't just go for pastors because this is what I think. I think every Christian is called. Every Christian is called. Every person in this church that has Jesus Christ as their Savior, you have a ministry. You're called to minister to others. It's not just the pastors. We don't just pay people to do that for us so we can not do, stick your head in the sand, have that false sense of peace and avoid conflict at all costs. It's not the way it works. Ministry and serving others and doing, it can be raw and extremely taxing, emotionally speaking, and it can drain you physically. It takes effort to rescue those who have no peace in this life. In the process of rescuing and ministering, we ourselves will not always feel peace. What we're called to do, not to not do. This Christian life isn't about having peace right now. We'll get to live in perfect peace forever with Jesus on the throne, and that's what we have. We have that hope, right? But having a false sense of peace is really just another way of saying you don't have peace. Nice thought, Confucius, but Confucius is confused. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the fulfillment of meeting God's standard that the law and the prophets have laid out. Doing implies action. And here's my point, my my thoughts. I I wonder how many Christians in America have a relationship with Christ based more on what they don't do rather than what they do. Man-sourced religion is always about the letter of the law and not about the spirit of intent behind that law. It's most often about what we should not be doing and avoids focusing on what we should be doing. This is precisely the reason that man-sourced religion will always tilt towards and drag you into legalism. It won't bring the freedom and the victory that Christ has promised us. I mean, we serve a God, church who has promised us a fulfilled life, a blessed life, an abundant life, a life in which sin doesn't rule over us, a life of victory. Yeah, that's real nice, Pastor Barry. Glad we have that life promised us, a victory. I'm glad. Are you? He promises us a life of victory, a life that moves us from glory to glory in Him, a life where healing and wholeness are ours. A life where our needs are met according to his riches and glory. A life in which we are protected and provided for. A life in which we don't have to fear anything. A life of hope. We have that. We get that when we accept Jesus Christ. it's a wonderful thing. And this one phrase, do to others what you would have them do to you, takes you past the legalistic letter of the law and moves you to living out the spirit of the law, which again is the original intent behind the law. It takes you to that place. When you apply this principle of treating others like you want to be treated, doing to them what you want done to you, it affects every area of your life. Sit and meditate on it this week, church. You'll be shocked at how many things that that applies to. I think about business practices. Do unto others what you want people to do to you. Well, I fudge in business here and I fudge in business there because I work hard and I deserve it and I've justified it. Why I can take advantage of this person just even a little bit or this person a little bit. I justified that, so it's okay. I got it worked out in my head. It's okay. Do you want other people to do that to you? I mean, start applying it to every area of your life and start thinking about it. How about your giving? You're part of a cooperative fellowship by being a part of this church. Do you ride on the coattails of those who finance this place or those who put the effort into the ministry with their hand labor or their giving of their talents or does what happened in this place for all those things, financial or people who give financially, people who give talent-wise and people who give uh, uh, physical labor, people who give all sorts of things, give their emotional energy sometimes to this place, this ministry, this church that's, that's all of us. Do you ride on the coattails of all those giving or do you do your part? I, I ask this question. If everyone gave like you in all those areas, not just talking financial, if everyone gave like you Would this church be able to do more or less? Is that an honest question? Am I just making you mad? How about your marriage or other relationships? Are you selfish in having to have your needs met? I need my needs met. I have a need and it needs to be met by those I'm in relationship with or those I'm married to or whatever relationship, kind of relationship you're talking about? Or are you always concerned with your spouse's needs or everyone else's needs? Do you put their needs above your own like the Bible tells us to? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Are you thinking of others like you would want them to think of you? Or are you just the star of your own movie? And everybody else has to bow to your stardom. You can literally ask yourself these types of questions regarding anything in your life, and it begins to set our behaviors in proper order. Putting others' needs above our own, doing unto others what we would have them do to us. That's the law and the prophets. That's all of it. It, 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 it takes care of all of it. It fulfills it. And do you see the love that you have in your heart when you look to see what others' needs are first? Love is the missing ingredient. God gave it to us, it flows through us, and it should flow to other people. How about our parenting? Do we treat our kids the way in which we would want to have been treated or do we just do the same thing our parents did and reach for those same old tools in the tool bag, you know, and fly off the handle when they're out of line? Or do we, we stop and think, I, wanted, I I didn't like being treated that way when I was a kid. I'm not going to treat my own kids that way. I mean, this, it just applies everywhere. It's amazing how a simple way of looking at things can be life-changing. Trying to avoid the doing by focusing on what we don't do it isn't good enough. We must do. Love is a verb. Christianity is action. It's what it's all about. And I, I, I don't think that Jesus was trying to, um, I don't think when he said this, he was trying to undo what Confucius said. That's not my point. But man's wisdom, which would include Confucius's philosophies, Man's wisdom, which would include religion and every man-made way of getting to heaven. Man's wisdom uh, would include all of our self-efforts in trying to fulfill the letter of the law by just being good and following all the rules. And, And Jesus just says, man, I poured out my love on you. If you would just receive that, understand it let it sink in let it flow through you all the law on the prophets it isn't abolished it's fulfilled in me it's fulfilled in me Jesus says i want to pray and i'm done this morning ended early Has this sunk into anybody this morning? To do is the question. What do I need to be doing? The question shouldn't be, what do I need to not do when it comes to the foundation of where we live our Christian life from? One breeds legalism, the other breeds life. God, we know this morning, that we can't earn our salvation by doing. It's not what I talked about today. It's not what I meant for anybody to think. We know salvation is by faith, not by works. But we also know that true salvation in Christ will always push us into action. We know your word says that faith without works is dead. Help us not fall into the trap of not doing. Help us to truly do to others as we would have them do to us. God, let us be the kind of people that ask the question, what do we need to do? What action step can we take to live out our faith and not just become the people that say what shouldn't we do and because God, we know we become a holy huddle then. We become the people that are us for and no more. We become the people that put a gate across our driveway and say no one's allowed. We become the people who hide from the world just to try to avoid all conflict and, and, and live that, that pseudo-peace life. God, you've made us more than conquerors. You've given us all the tools we need to live victoriously. You've given us the ability, God, to live your holy standard out, not in our own efforts, but through your love. God, that needs to be a revelation to some of us today. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand. They sin, so they, they get feeling real bad for themselves and feel like God reject them, rejects them because they sinned. And so they, they move away from God in relationship a little bit until it, they, there's been enough time. Then they kind of scoot back towards them again and they say, I'm sorry, God, I sinned. And they try to live for him as best they can. And then they fall again to the same sin. And they do this year after year after year after year. And it, it, it's different sins for different people. Some people fall into those sins when it comes to pornography. Some people fall into those sins when it comes to gambling. Some into addictions. All sorts of different things. But our Christian life becomes nothing more than, than, than again, trying to not do. When you've called us to be Doers. Lord, set us free from that lifestyle, that trap, that rut where victorious Christian living doesn't happen. We're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.